Hallo, ik ben Justina. En ik ben Veerle. Wij zijn twee nieuwsgierige vrouwen met verschillende achtergronden. We komen letterlijk uit verschillende werelden. Ik ben geboren in de jaren 80 in Kroatië, toen nog Joegoslavië. En ik ben geboren in België in het begin van de jaren 70. Wij zijn verbonden door onze interesses en onze intenties. Wij geloven in de groei door het uitdagen van de mindset. En dat is voor ons niet enkel iets van het brein, maar heeft veel meer te maken met de hart-brein connectie. So let's shake our minds, move our hearts and feed our souls. Deze podcast is het verhaal van de Human Takeover. Met de Human Takeover verzetten we ons tegen het idee van de mens als radertje in de neoliberale machine. We gaan in dialoog met mensen die ons inspireren door wijsheid en creativiteit en die moed hebben om verbinding te maken met hun hart. Via de Human Takeover willen we uitdagen zodat iedereen zich in haar of zijn volle eigenheid kan verwezenlijken. Dit is het feest van dappere mensen die oefenen om met volle voeten in de modder van het leven te ploeteren. Of zoals Albert Schweitzer zei, let your life be your argument. Very, very welcome. Thank you. It's a, it's a, big, uh, it's a big step for us. And this is really the first conversation we are having because we know each other for quite a long we had these kind of conversations very very much but with a guest this is the first setting that we have as a trio and uh, as someone that I personally don't know mm-hmm. but I know that Verle and you know each other maybe I can tell a bit that uh, the way I met Ria uh, I think I first met her as a student and she was my teacher later she became my uh, supervisor and kind of mentor and uh, now she really is a, a good friend and a soulmate I appreciate her energy her wisdom for me Ria is very important because she can touch the things in a way that they reveal their own importance. She made me curious about what is life and she teached me to look in a different way and now she can uh, she can be uh, very close to me in talking about our work but also in talking about our lives. So she's very dear to me. <laughs> wow, that's beautiful. Wonderful. Thank you for the nice words. What I appreciate in you, Verle, is that we can switch from professional, from intellectual, from emotional to spiritual and to ridiculous topics. I really, for me, that's a kind of, yeah, that's a prescription for friends, Mm. for me. It's like, when I can do that, then we can go the whole way. And also, um, don't take ourselves too serious when there is a good time not to do that. And uh, that's what I appreciate in our journey together. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> I really loved your sentence. Emotional, ridiculous and spiritual topics. <laughs> should be the baseline of the human takeover. <laughs> really, I think it's genius. Yeah, yeah and it, it stems from... Um, there was a, there was an interview of two weeks ago from my colleagues in South Africa, um, and they asked me what makes a good facilitator. For me, that's then a facilitator in systemic work in constellation work, and I said to become very very common. And what does that mean? It means that slowly to grow into your humanness Um, and to be wise and vulnerable and ridiculous and making mistakes and um, needing others and all the stuff that is human. I think students and people who join trainings are easy, as I have done, to project a complete image to a trainer or to a wise person and I personally think it's really an art to embrace all of it 
and to have the courage to show that to others that you that nobody is superwoman or superman but that you can go in, in into yourself in a place where you can choose what what is the communication now and what is the purpose of our being together and to switch to the different levels not to just identify with oh my god i'm so bright and i'm so <laughs> wise mm, that's boring <laughs> <laughs> is everyone open for that process i wonder sometimes well there i don't think everybody is in in has a longing for me the longing is is the drive and the engine not the problem I'm not so interested in problems. I'm interested in what is the longing of the human heart and the human soul. Um, and if there is a longing, we can see how far the person can go. But it's it's a journey with um, consequences. It's not always an easy ride to combine and to develop all the different la layers that you are. Uh, only last week a student told me, well, uh, that I was not pure enough. And I said, well, I am not pure. Mm. Certainly not. I have quite a good developed dark side. Mm -hmm. But if I can be aware and every now and then be the director of my light side and my dark side, okay, then I can breathe out. <laughs> but I'm surely not one bulb of light and pureness not sure anyone is <laughs> no and if but I, I think you can play with it you can become if you want to become a guru and play with it that's that's the part i think you can exaggerate mm. but that's not my interest mm. Mm. it's too hard work <laughs> too hard work it may be if you perform that way, you miss the heart of the work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's very important, I think, what you what you address in in what you say, that uh, you need to embrace all aspects of human life and to show everyone who wants to to see it that humanity has to do with completeness in being and in becoming, but not in being complete. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember many years ago, I think I'm now, I'm becoming 70 next year, and I think it is probably almost 40 years ago. I have six sisters and one of them told me in kind of general talk we had, oh, I'm finally where I want to be. And I panicked and I thought, oh my God, Imagine I stay in this place forever. No, 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 no. I'm really not where I want to be. But because she said it, I realized, no, no, there's still a long way to go. I don't mm. know how it looks. I don't know how it's called. But it was like, mm, no. I read somewhere a beautiful sentence where it says, comfort zones are not growth growing zones. It just reminded me now while you were telling that story, does it have anything to do with that kind of um, perspective? If you think I am where I am, finally, is that the fear of, oh, nee, uh, am I really going to stay here forever and I'm going to be okay with this status quo, quo or this comfort status that I found and will never be have this longing you talk about to go to expand from it? Well, I think we don't grow in our comfort zone, I think we are nourished in our comfort zone to make a step that is really uncomfortable. And in that step, we need all the layers that we have in ourselves. We need others, we need a mirror, we need a companion, we need a soulmate. Uh, humans are not meant to do that on their own. Um, but the comfort zone is to take a breath and say, oh, Okay, here I can stay for a while and then life throws something at me and yep, there we go again. It's never, I imagine it will never stop until the last breath I inhale or exhale. Um, 
And that makes it exciting because we can make all kinds of plans, especially this year, 2020. But God is laughing, like they say, when you make plans, <laughs> and He is surely having a ball now. <laughs> he is enjoying it. <laughs> so they say. And I think uh, not only God, I think the devil is sitting next to yeah, him. Yeah, <laughs> they're having a tea together. Yeah. <laughs> recording a podcast episode about us. <laughs> yeah. Look, Look at those humans. <laughs> yeah, those three women, they think they are wise. Let's yeah. shuffle them a bit. <laughs> yeah, that's well, what they say. Uh, life happens while you're busy making plans. Yeah. And what you said, 2020 showed us exactly that's what happens. Huh? Yeah, and anyway, in all we don't know, in all that is threatening or uncertain, still make plans. So not stop making plans, but in to have the courage to stay creative. And a lot will have to change or we have to... Uh, modulate it because of the circumstances but keep on how is the flow of life able to go on yeah mm. that makes me a bit curious about when you talk about the flow of life there must be a flow that brings you here at this moment in your life and we have a favorite question Justina you know <laughs> we call it the, the catapult question We, we are curious about a kind of memory that already reveals something of your flow, but that you didn't know when you had that memory. You didn't know yet. So the, the memory is, is of an experience that catapults you into the here and now. So, Well, there is a very, very clear experience from my age i think i was somewhere between four five maximum six and there was we are in in our family we had quite early television and there was a fairy tale goldilocks and i remember sitting in a little bowl with a blanket and how this princess was a really arrogant Um, cruel to others who were poor and ugly and in doing that she became more and more ugly instead of a beautiful princess she became more and more ugly and each time she looked at her reflection in the water she got another shock and as a little girl I was really terrified and then when she opened her heart and did good stuff for people each time she gained a bit more beauty that was visible on the outside oh, okay that that was possible too but it was an enormous and frightening and deep experience as a little girl that it could go wrong a life a journey of a girl or a young woman you had to do something It was not just falling from heaven. You had to act to become beautiful. And that's, yeah, I, I feel how it uh, generates warmth in me while recalling it and talking about it. Um, and sometimes it goes against all odds or against uh, the, the, the common history or what people expect from you. But that black and white, story on a very small old television yeah that, that that that's a kind of it was a very early wake-up call mm -hmm. but quite frightening yeah wow that's strong yeah and you were there to receive the wake-up call yeah. you, you took it i i didn't completely understand no. but it stayed with me and i i i still can see the images on the screen and the dimension that you You say that th there is also a need to act in life. You just it doesn't fall from heaven. You have to do something. It needs that needs courage. Eh? That it needs mm -hmm. uh, stepping out of your comfort zone, as Justina said. So uh, that's what you do. Eh? You you had a, an interesting journey. You are a founder of of an institute in Czechia. Mm -hmm. You work with uh, people in South Africa. You are really 
courage is in the way you act. You dare to stand. Do you want to tell something about it? Yeah, I, I think I, I, I need a challenge. When I, I used to work in the diamond area many, many, many years ago, and my boss at that time told some colleagues, Ria is like an arrow. You just have to pull and shoo, she's gone. And I thought, yeah, if, if it's interested me and if you inspire me and if I get some, yeah, some idea of the meaningfulness of the energy of the arrow, then I will do it. And like the story of the Institute in Czech Republic in Prague, the, my trainers, I was in my second year of Gestalt training, they said it was a ridiculous idea because those people don't have any money. They just, it was 91, uh, two years after the Velvet Revolution, but I thought, it's not about money. I'm going to do something interesting. And they argued with me and they, they, they summoned me in the office and what are you doing there and why and are you trying to develop your own practice on on our back and well i had a good not a fight but a good argument and afterwards they said okay we'll join you in the in the project that was the belgian and the norwegian and the dutch gestalting organization so I think I, I, what I, there is one thing I, I regret in my life. I would really had, would have loved a Jewish education in learning to argue. <laughs> they, they are really very good in taking stuff inside out. And an, an arguing, uh, a, a discussion mm -hmm. to drive it until we are not agreeing then something is born. And then, of course, we need to have a mediation. But I think I have the quality to feel something is in it, whatever you might think of it. Yeah. And I go for that. Yeah, and that needs courage. Yeah. Yeah. That's and then people call it sometimes ridiculous. Oh, my God, what are you going to do mm -hmm. there? And that's, that's okay. I'm, I'm strengthened by the resistance, I think. Okay. Also. Oh, that's mm. nice. Can be a, <laughs> can yeah. be quite a force. Yeah. Yeah, mm. and sometimes people say that, "Oh my God, you have so much power," and I I laugh with it. But I think you develop strength by going for something that's not so easy, but that you feel. I I don't go for happiness. I go for meaningfulness. Yes. Happiness is a moment here and there during the day. But to feel meaningful and say, okay, I, I, I felt that in the lockdown, many women and men of my age, it's really a um, horrible picture to think that I would sit behind the window and look at life and seeing passing by and there's nothing more I can add. Yeah. That would really make me crazy. <laughs> and I think... It's unhealthy for a lot of my, um, for the people who are my age to find something that connects you to life. Mm. Not finding it. Not finding it. Yeah, yeah. okay. Mm. To lose it. To or lose that others say, yeah. you can't give it anymore. Yeah. Whatever. There is no form. value yeah. in who you are. <laughs> that's scary, but that's a bit what we told them by closing those people yeah and that's a western mm. yeah attitude yes it's in many cultures it's very very different and that's i think what i also received and touched me deeply in south africa yeah. that as an elder i'm worth a little bow every time they see and say okay wow. you lived longer than i did yeah that deserves recognition yeah. Do you feel big difference between um, South Africa and here in, in the way people respect or re people act regarding uh, older people? From the black community, mostly. I think in the white community, there is, I don't think there is so much difference. Um, they have an intergenerational story because mo most of them are immigrants, so they look at Europe as. The Valhalla, of course, we are not far from. <laughs> but it's it's so rewarding to come into a 
family might it be Zulu or Kosa or Mbele and to see the intergenerational dynamic that strengthens the whole instead of those who are 30, 40 in the prime of their life they have a big voice and they're the yuppies and they have the huge cars and whatever they have much wider ground to stand on that's very very touching and Mm -hmm. I think we will have a tough task to try even to implement it in a little bit more. It's not easy to turn it around what we neglected and refused to integrate. Mm, definitely. But I also notice now uh, with being pregnant, in general, I didn't get a very warm feeling here that grandchildren are something extra or special. It's just something nice for grandparents to have. But it's it's yours it's your the parents it's your kids who will see them sometimes but there it stops while in croatia it's a huge add to the family. to the family mm-hmm. it's it is an added value well i think the intergenerational story or image brings me at my work that i'm doing mostly now that's the systemic work i think it's very narrow to just look and listen to one person. Might it be one person in a team, one person in a family, one person in a community, one person in a political party? What is the personal longing or need to grow or story? What is the intergenerational, much wider repetition of strength or repetition of weakness or repetition of pain and trauma? And what is the echo in the collective story? So that's for me very fascinating and interesting. So if if we in, in, in the European or in the Western society miss out on the intergenerational story, we miss out on a lot. And I think it's moving and it's changing and uh, it's it's fascinating to find yourself more in looking back and that comes for me from shamanism which I have a long connection with and they say if you want to make an important decision and a step forward first turn around and look at everything in your past and bow for it it's not about agreeing it's about honoring and in making that bow Take everything that's available for you, turn around, and with that strength, go forward. That's a few sentences, and it's a huge task. It's really strong. Uh, I really get emotional. <laughs> I'm a bit in a blackout of uh, of processing what you just said. Yeah, yeah it, it, it proves a bit, uh, Justina, that words and language are, I, I, I really love the exact words and the precise like you mentioned fairly like ah, yeah, Ria can pinpoint something yeah. it's because I'm a bit of a freak in words and, and, and language because it restructures the field mm-hmm. and uh, already something can move if we name it yeah it can move and it's also moving it's moving in the sense of uh, connecting the heart and the brain mm-hmm. i guess eh, what you what you tell is also a work in being moved literally by by your ancestors mm-hmm. and that makes you stronger more connected in yourself and with your intention, with what you want to do, and to open up for this kind of, uh, how can I say, it's, it is not a flow, it is, it is like following and honoring a line that you, that you don't neglect in your life. It can be something that guides you mm-hmm. when you can uh, connect to it, but I think there is some wisdom in it that we in our society and in the way we deal with our intergenerational 
story huh? that we can recuperate from this kind of wisdom because it also touches me when you say in our society grandchildren are are a matter of of the the mother and the father of the children and, and not like extending the family and I think yes it's so true what she says and it's it's a pity it's a pity that also those children are born in a different way when you are born as part of a big family or you are born as a part of a small family mm. Mm. yeah the, the how far is the warmth of the heart reaching yeah in the intergenerational yeah um, story in the intergenerational book mm-hmm. of your family um, what you talked a bit before about how you search for meaning instead of happiness was that a sort of um, the driving force the, the line that was pushing you forward through your career and through your life well yeah I think I, I I made most of the time I made a decision on what felt for me important or meaningful I remember when I worked in the diamond area uh, there was a big group of people who um, came to form a separate company like in so many businesses they split up and they have an argument and then half of them go away and the other half stays and that was the same and they asked me to come with them those who wanted to create a new and I said no no I feel good here and uh, I didn't know why but it's mostly based on how they did it to split up was something that was for me not meaningful. The way how they did it. The purpose of the new company could probably, I don't think it uh, it survived, but anyway. But it's uh, a difficult radar to develop, but of course I, yeah, I was wrong every once in a while, but not with big decisions. We, we have a very good kind of radar, I think, to, and, 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 but you need to listen to it. And you need to take the risk to fall flat on your face and crawl back up. And say, okay, this was the wrong one. Nobody seen me. We put the dust from our clothes and continue. Um, but if, if you make, if you feel the temperature of the meaningfulness, there's a good chance something will come out of it. Often I don't know what. But there is a very good chance that something will be born out of it. Uh, Like for me now, we are here, the three of us, and it's for me also meaningful we are three women. Mm -hmm. There's a big thing going on. How women um, are able and sometimes neglecting to claim their their place at the fire. Mm -hmm. Not asking to have a place to claim it and it's really really painful sometimes that women even if they have the opportunity especially here in in Western Europe and when I say it a bit respectless are too lazy to do it to claim their place yeah Yeah. And, and to think that some prince in a white armor will carry them to that place at the fire. Well, I I have a feeling there is enough queenness in the three of us. <laughs> and I think that's what women are growing into. Mm-hmm. The wisdom of a queen in, instead of the princes that wears pink dresses and fluffy hairbands. The queen looks very different. It's not pink. Okay. (laughs) You talked about the work you do. It's systematic work, you said? Systemic. Systemic work, work, sorry. Could you explain it a little bit to me? Because I'm not really sure 
how it's uh, mm -hmm. how it's uh, how it works. I'm really curious about what it is. Well, it's a kind of form that was um, a method that was developed by Bert Hellinger. He was for 18 years uh, school head in KwaZulu Natal in South Africa, and he he, he connected and mixed the Western psychology with especially the backbones of the Zulu culture. And out of that came the family constellation. And out of the family constellation came systemic work. So it's in fact a method that provides you the way how to do what I said with shamanism. There's a method to look back, to look everything that belongs to your story and to all the people through which life came to your place and to look forward. Um, I, I love to do it with families, with, with family issues, with family topics, not with families present, but with the, 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 the traditional family constellation. But I also love it to, to um, give people in leadership positions the, the look and the uh, language and the intervention from a systemic perspective. Like, when I'm now sitting here and I honor where I come from and all the stuff that I lived through, it has an effect on my four granddaughters, on my two children. Um, and to becoming more aware of that, I think we might have a chance to build a healthier dynamic in between humans if it's not just about me and that's what I mean to become very common I'm just one piece in the chain mm -hmm. nothing more and nothing less and I think in Europe we were quite good in developing a huge ego mm -hmm. if I I, it was quite a shock when I looked at Africa and I put that little triangle from Belgium on the continent of the Africa, it disappears. <laughs> you don't even notice it. But my God, we have a big mouth. How did you end up working in, in South Africa? Uh, that was, uh, I, I have always very funny stories, but my, one of my first bosses, uh, got into a personal, a bit of a disaster. He immigrated to South Africa and he asked me to come there and support him. Um, I didn't really do it myself. I looked for a therapist there and then I flew over there. And from that I met Pula Livingston, a Jewish Gestalt therapist, the only one I got to know in Cape Town. And I gave her my business card and on the one side there was Czech Republic, Prague, and on the other side was Antwerp. And she said, oh, it's my dream to go to Prague. Mm. And her father was in the diamond area. And anyway, we had all kinds of <laughs> silver linings. And the next year she, I invited her to Prague. And then two years later, I went to South Africa and did the first constellation workshop there. So, I have a couple of good guides. I have a whole container, I think, of funny uh, ancestors who say, okay, now she's willing and aware. <laughs> Let's give her a push. <laughs> Kick her ass. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, and yeah, it's, it's really wonderful to come into, to step into something and I say, oh my God, this is going well. Yeah. I, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, it's amazing how uh, you meet randomly people who who um, bring you to where you are. Yeah, I, I, I have 
memories of that, for example, when I, I worked together with Stan Lifshitz, professor in clinical psychology in Pretoria, now he's not working anymore. And he was sitting in his garden and he had a garden where he sculptured a bit like Jung. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a musician there who also had a healing instrument. And, and they were talking, the two of them. And so in Pretoria, 10,000 kilometers from Antwerp, and suddenly I hear them talk about Joska Sos, one of my teachers, a shaman in Antwerp. Okay. I still get the shivers. So you were in Pretoria and they told you something they, about... They talked among them. I couldn't... Under, I wasn't listening to their conversation, but I just heard Joska. And we had a whole talk. They, they read his book and, and we had a whole talk and it's like, that's why I'm here, among other stuff. Yeah. It's beautiful. Well, it, it seems that you are well uh, equipped to listen to the voice of life whispering you around mm. I think so yeah I was I think I have a, a kind of radar mm-hmm. um, is it the same radar as the one you talked about earlier I would like la- now I think 20 years ago I would have said well it's my awareness mm-hmm. <laughs> going into mm-hmm. the gestalt methodology but I really think it's it's like a flow from the past that wants to continue yeah yeah and it's not about me it's can you say that you you are willing to be life's instrument yeah yeah okay and I think it's 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 about Maybe for the listeners, they can look for the text of Oriah mm-hmm. Mountain Dreamer. It's a native Indian. And he says, are you willing to be ridiculous for what you stand for? Okay. Are, are you willing to fall down? Are you willing to be successful? But also, are you willing to take a risk yeah. where you have no idea? Yeah, and that that I took the chance, I think. Being also surrounded by friends and family and people who supported me. Like the first years I worked in Czech Republic, there was very little money. So there were good friends, not financially, but in other ways, to cook meals and say, when you come to Antwerp, what shall I make you? Ah, cauliflower and a sausage. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> comfort to be, food to be uh, warmed up mm. yeah. and and so that I could continue yeah to go back to your comfort zone yeah eh? mm. to, to get nourish, support to be nourished, nourished. Yeah. yeah a question that I'm uh, quite curious about um, what was your family dynamics when you were a child and what did your parents do for a living and how did those things um, influence where you are now in life and your choices. Yeah, I think that's um, touching base, touching home in many ways. I come from a really large family. I have six brothers and six sisters. I'm right in the middle. I always make a joke about it that I'm put into the cradle to do group work. I'm born in the middle of a group of 13 with my parents 15. So many times a group is 15. (laughs) I had to learn to respect my family, my father and mother and my sisters and brothers in their fate of life. And especially in the beginning of my Gestalt training, not to be wiser than them to tell them what to do and what not to do. I come from a family where there was a lot of alcohol, there was violence, there was insecurity, there was unsafety. Um, So I think because of that, I really had to go into that place in myself to hang on to myself with a capital Z. And... um, 
So there was quite some drama. Um, I see some of it repeats itself. And I learned to respect. And to say something when they ask. And to shut my mouth. If they don't have any longing to change what's going on. That's a big journey. <laughs> because there are so many variations where you think, oh, but if you do that, oh, but please read that book. Oh, but... <sighs> to say, well, it's not up to me. It's hard to let go. I can imagine. Well, it's, Especially it, with your experience. Yeah, I can't let it go, but I can stretch my heart so that everything can be honored. Um, that's what I learned from Judith Hemming. Yeah. She literally said that to me. You have to stretch your heart so that everything can be in it. And it was physically, I could feel it physically, like <gasps> the stretch. Yeah. But I, I want to come back myself to something. You talk about heart and head. Yeah. But I would like to mention three components the body, the mind, and the spirit. Okay. Spirit can be heart, soul, everything that mm -hmm. we include. Um, I, I, as we see now, there is a lot of emphasis on having a physical workout. You can do it online, you can do it in... And I think it's, it's, it's really a um, strong combination if, if you can have a body that you take care of in whatever way and you have the possibility to develop your mind and thinking and knowledge and you have the ability and the possibility to train that mind and the third component to have spiritual heartfelt mm -hmm. emotional development each one of them if you take one you can break if you're only spiritual and you have no physical component to carry it or a brain that can make it having roots if you only have the mental and the intellectual development without the spiritual and the physical component so whatever if you weave it that's why my training is called weaving wisdom if you weave it together it's very powerful if you go for one of the three components it's impressive but there it stops hmm. And do you think the spiritual component is different for everyone? Some people don't like that word, maybe. And in the meanwhile, they probably are busy with it. They just don't want to call it like that. I, I don't have personally problem with that word, but I do know a lot of people who would think like, oh, spiritual, uh, then you have to do mantras, you have to meditate, you have to this, but it's much wider than the just... Mm. Um, well, I, I, in my experience, I found a deeper spirituality or a deeper meaning in life, in the shamanism and in the training as a Sangoma in South Africa. When a Sangoma, which is a traditional healer, before they do a ritual, they go around and clean the earth and pray to the earth and say, well, thank you for carrying us. Tomorrow we will come with people and we, we will make a fire here. And just in themselves, they go around and pick up the, the dirt and the stuff and the papers and whatever. And I thought, wow, it can be that simple. You're not just sitting on the ground and whatever where you are. First you greet the earth and the place where you maybe gather for a meal. So for me, spirituality has big, big roots. It's very, very simple. To walk around and take a can that is on the street and put it in the garbage, that's for me spirituality. 
say I'm caring for the earth in the way I can and in the way that it approaches me in my life. Of course there are deeper rituals that can be done and to connect more and to honor more. But I like the art of simplicity. Um, if we start there, um, and if we continue there, to honor what we are connected with, yeah, that, that, that gains meaning for me. And I'm very immensely grateful for the Sangomas I met in South Africa. And they teached me and they gave me support. Um, not so long ago, I had a, a longer talk with Neil Campbell, which he's a man, man uh, a white man from um, Botswana, but he lives partially in Cape Town. And I told him that I maybe want to do a kind of ritual with all these things that are happening in um, COVID-19. And then he gives me one sentence and then I'm back to the difference between, for me, the European thinking and the Sangoma or the South African. He said, well, the ceremony is summoning you, not the other way around. It's not about me who is inventing a ritual for whatever is going on in our society. What is calling me? Okay, then I recall it again. And I think we are very trained in our Western society to know what to do, to know where to go, and so on, and so on. I, I have millions of questions. <laughs> <laughs> we can, as far as I'm concerned, we can stay here whole, whole afternoon. But maybe it would be um, uh, good and interesting for our listen, listeners as well if... Um, you could um, tell us where can we find out more about you uh, and where can people connect with you and if there is a book or a film or something that touched you that you really think is worth sharing. Mm -hmm. um, well, I have a website, so if they type in Ria Verlinden, my website is a bit difficult. It's the 7th C, but you will probably see it when you uh, type in Ria Verlinden. Um, there you can see my what I do. And there are a couple of movies and, and books and, and experiences that are still in me and it relates to the question you asked me fairly mm -hmm. in the beginning. And what is, what is still with you? Uh, in, in a, a bit further in life when I was, I think, 30 and a bit more, 35 maybe, I read a book of a Jewish man who lost his family twice. First in the Holocaust, and then he lost his wife and three children in a bushfire in south of France. They were all killed. And again, he started a family uh, his life was, that book was made into a movie. But he was on the verge of killing himself at some point, and I can understand that. But then I thought, if he can deal with that, I can deal with mine. So that was another switch, a mm -hmm. bulb, a light bulb that switched on. And which book was it? You, you remember? Oh, au nom de tous les miens, uh, in the name of all those who are mine. And the, the movie was okay, but not so brilliant, but it is about a story. Yes. And he was a Polish man, a Jewish man. I think his Polish name was Milan. Milos? I, 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 I don't remember the name. But... Uh, in the name of all those who are mine, which mm -hmm. is a beautiful title. Mm -hmm. I think that's also uh, enveloping, enveloping systemic work mm -hmm. in the name of all those who I belong to. 
um, a movie that is probably a turning point um, is Down to Earth. Mm-hmm. A family, a Dutch family, who travels around the world and visits traditional healers and and on their journey they think wow wow this is interesting not just for us but for the world so if i would tempt myself to give an advice um, go and look for the traditional wisdom before we invented psychology there were millions of years that people had models to grow, to honor, uh, to stay close to themselves. Psychology and, and psychiatry is marvelous. It's incredible. But there are many more stories and um, formats of wisdom that will blow your mind and your heart. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I think this was a perfect um, closure of this uh, of this episode. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us. Unless you will have more. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Mm. Again. Well, I, I especially want to thank you for holding the space. <laughs> this is what like a, a ritual takes you on its wings and this is what happens here to hold the atmosphere and the space and the energy and then mm. the fire can burn yeah yeah we took our place at the fire the three queens <laughs> <laughs> three generations of queens also. thank you very much thank you as well <laughs>